From Boise, Idaho, where it feels like legislative season and sounds a little bit like legislative season, it's Extra Credit, Idaho Education News' weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And yes, the band was back together. The House Education Committee was in town. Clark, you were fully embedded with the committee Tuesday, well into Tuesday, and for a good chunk of Wednesday, and we'll, we'll get to that. But Wednesday was one of those days that you know, I kind of like because we had not one but two sets of data, two sets of test results coming out in the same day. Yeah, Kevin, that's exactly right. We got a data drop on ACT results. And we got the nation's report card, the NAEP results. Let's dig into it. I guess introduce what each one is uh, so we know what we're talking about. And then what do the latest numbers show? And what do the numbers teach us? How have we changed or what can we compare? Right, right. So two different tests uh, for two different uh, groups of students. One much more significant in the big picture than the other. So let's start with the more significant of the two. And that would be NAEP. That would be the... uh, Known as the nation's report card, this is a every other year test that's given to a sample of students uh, all across the country. Uh, in this case, we had fourth and eighth graders tested for reading and math. Numbers uh, dropped really late Tuesday night our time. And the Idaho results were pretty good. Uh, Idaho came out ahead of national averages in all four of those subsets, uh, fourth grade and eighth grade reading and math. Really, scores that were, you know, in some cases, uh, several points above the the national average, and statistically significant uh, differences between the Idaho scores and yeah. the national U.S. scores. U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos not too pleased, or at least the statement she released about the nationwide NAEP results, not too pleased. What did she have to say? And then what did Superintendent Ibarra have to say about Idaho? Right. So the reactions, as you might expect, were, were very different because really the national results from NAEP were sobering. Um, math scores increased very minor increases, reading scores were a mix, and pretty significant, and there's an Idaho tie-in to this, eighth grade reading scores dropped significantly and dropped in more than 30 states, including Idaho, and we'll we'll need to get to there in, in a moment. But yes, as you mentioned, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos called the results devastating. And she said that there should be a wake-up call as far as national education policy is concerned. State Superintendent Sherry Barra, very different reaction, looking at the Idaho numbers saying, you know, look, Idaho students came out ahead of the national averages across the board, which is accurate. And she used it as an opportunity to do something she likes to do, which is uh, dispel what she considers to be this widespread perception that Idaho schools are near the bottom of national rankings kind of conflates national rankings that look at funding with uh, with actual right. student results. Right. But that's been a, a soundbite that we've heard from Superintendent Ibarra for some time. But in the, in the aggregate here, when she's talking about Idaho test scores being above national average and Idaho performance being above the national average, that is accurate. And it's significant. And, and it is significant. Now, I mentioned that the one change in Idaho scores that was statistically significant and was troubling was eighth grade eighth grade reading right? Thirty one states, as I said before, saw statistically significant declines in eighth grade reading scores. Idaho being one of them. Um, what the folks at NAEP do not try to do with these test results, and they're very careful not to do, uh, and explained in a briefing on Tuesday, they don't try to get to why this is happening. They don't feel like the data really explains why 
eighth grade reading scores dropped. But the what was what they focused on, and that this is fairly much an across-the-board drop, not just geographically, as I mentioned, but demographically. On the national scale, it seemed like almost every ethnic group, every, every socioeconomic group, there was a decline. And when I dug into the Idaho numbers, I saw that as well. When you look at the eighth grade reading numbers from two years ago, last time this test was administered, to uh, 2019 when it was administered earlier this year, there is no student subset in Idaho where the eighth grade reading scores improved. None. And we're talking about gender, we're talking about socioeconomics, we're talking about you know, free and reduced lunch eligibility, we're talking about you know, education background in the household, you know, how, how much education does a child's parents have. Any of those subsets, no single subset saw an improvement. Some of them saw decreases that were not statistically significant. Some of those subsets significantly uh, saw decreases. Boys, eighth grade boys, uh, their, their test scores dropped in reading. Uh, students with disabilities uh, scores dropped significantly. Students who are eligible for uh, free or reduced priced lunch, those scores dropped significantly. So that's a pretty significant result, especially when you put it into the context of Idaho putting so much money into literacy programs for the early grades, for K through three. This tells you that there may be issues to address with reading skills in the later grades. Um, even Superintendent Nabara, when she uh, put out a press release on Wednesday praising the results, acknowledged that the eighth grade scores were, were down and acknowledged that there's a, an issue with students with disabilities and suggested that this is this is a staffing problem uh, that needs to be addressed, that a lot of districts are having a hard time finding special education teachers, which we knew. We, we've written yeah. about this. But these results, to her, underscore the need to address issues such as special education hiring. So, again, the eighth grade reading scores were the, were the big trouble area. Fourth grade reading scores, I should mention, by the way, unchanged from two years ago. And that's even... You know, after the state launched a couple of years into the reading initiative, uh, uh, right, 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 which exactly. would have benefited that I guess you could call it group of fourth graders today would have had the benefit of a couple of years of the reading initiative when they were going through the K through three level. This year, the legislature, led by Governor Brad Little, doubled funding for the K three initiative, uh, the literacy initiative. I think going from thirteen million dollars to twenty six million dollars for this year. I think the political context is important that literacy is almost becoming an all-hands-on-deck hand, effort, but it's at the K-3 level, as you pointed out. Uh, and the emphasis and the focal point is the K-3 level. Um, right. So, so it's so, interesting. Right. So those fourth-grade reading scores, which didn't move one way or the other, even a couple years into a literacy initiative that should have affected those fourth graders. Those fourth graders were in on the beginning yeah. of the literacy initiative. They're uh, just the coming out. They, they just exited that K-3 group, yeah. And, and the scores didn't go up. The scores didn't go down. So I found that interesting. That's NAEP, and that's NAEP in a nutshell. Let's shift gears quickly to the ACT. For sure. Um, this is a different test. This is a college placement exam, a college entrance exam, and it's one of several... Um, let's recap, every Idaho student needs to take a college entrance exam in order to graduate high school. They don't have to pass it. There's no cut score. There's no, uh, no criteria uh, as far as the numbers are concerned. They just have to take one. Now, most 
high school students in Idaho take the SAT, and there's a good reason this for that. This is an important, <laughs> important part here that we're this, a very, this is why I, you know, this is the context you need to know as we talk about the ACT scores. So most Idaho students are taking a different college entrance exam, the SAT. To the tune of taxpayers paying a million dollars a year per to offer that during the school day for our juniors. Precisely. Uh, high school juniors take it for free during the school day. No surprise that the SAT is Idaho's college entrance exam of choice. But these results were for the ACT, and so how many, what percentage roughly of Idaho students are taking the ACT? Right, so about a third of Idaho's high school graduates from 2019 took the ACT. So it's a pretty small subset and really significant looking at that subset further. Um, ACT asks these students, well, what are your plans? And more than 80% of the students who took the ACT said that they plan to at least get a bachelor's degree or a you know, post or an advanced degree, a master's degree or a doctoral degree. So you've got a self-selecting sample here of students who are largely committed to going to college, yep. who may be taking the ACT simply to uh, meet an admissions requirement for the college of their choice. Particularly if it's out of state. Right, right. So these... This is not a representative sample of Idaho's high school graduating class because we're talking about 80% of these students expecting to go on and get a degree. Now, that's a much higher percentage than we have in, as an actual college completion percentage Correct. statewide. So what does that all mean? And what does that mean in terms of the ACT numbers? We're getting there. <laughs> but that context was really important as a backdrop. Right. Idaho's ACT scores above the national average. But again, you know, a smaller student sample, so you would expect that more than half of Ida, uh, more, more than half of se seniors around the country take the ACT, so it's a much higher percentage nationally. What ACT suggests that we reporters do when we get these numbers is to look at how test scores compare between states that have a similar participation rate, so around that 31 percentage uh, point. Uh, number that Idaho had. I, I looked at those numbers, states that are a few percentage points uh, within Idaho. Idaho's numbers are not, they're not great, they're not terrible. Uh, Idaho's ahead of one state and tied with another. Um, Idaho's scores are below three other states that are in that general neighborhood in terms of participation. So ACT scores not terrific in that context. They are above national average. Again, when we look at these college placement numbers, um, these test scores, we tend to look a lot more closely at the SAT because it's a much more complete sampling of Idaho students. It's a much better representation of where Idaho students stand. And when we get those SAT numbers, like we did last month, uh, we try to look at how do Idaho numbers compare to other states where a vast majority of students are taking the SAT. So it's more of an apples to apples comparison. Uh, Sammy Edge did that story about a month ago and found that the SAT numbers weren't very good when you compared Idaho with other states with a very high uh, participation rate. So some good news, but uh, some context that really is, is necessary when you look at the ACT numbers. Yeah, the SAT is really Idaho's college entrance exam of choice, and that's both from a policy standpoint and a participation standpoint. I know we just threw a lot of numbers and a lot of acronyms 
uh, at you, NAPE, ACT, SAT. But if you want to sort it out and get to the bottom of it, the best place is to spend a little time at the homepage. That's idahoednews.org. And we actually had separate articles from you earlier in this week, Kevin, about the NAPE results, the nation's report card, and then about the new ACT results. And right. so that's there. And both the stories homepage. both stories have tables. Uh, the, the NAPE story also has a graphic. Uh, so you can see the numbers in more more clear detail than you're going to get uh, listening to me talk about it on a podcast. So check out both of those stories and get the full context uh, behind those numbers. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks, Kevin. So while I was crunching numbers, uh, you were spending quality time with the House Education Committee. Uh, let's talk about what this meeting was not. It was not a policy-setting meeting. It was two days of informational sessions with House Education. So what sort of information did House Education want, and what were they focused on? They wanted all of it, Kevin. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they wanted all of it. They wanted flowcharts. <laughs> they wanted, you know, they wanted a little bit of everything, right? Yeah, quality time is a real good way to describe it. But Tuesday and Wednesday at the State House, House Education got back together. This is unusual. I don't even think, maybe one other time I've seen the Education Committee meet in the off-season. I think this is like the eighth legislative session I covered, uh, something like that. Uh, but this was actually a little bit different. Uh, the committee was actually prohibited from conducting any official business, could not introduce any bills, could not deliberate towards any policy decisions, could not really take a position on the recommendations from the governor's task force, which will be voted on next Monday. Right. Uh, and so what it was, uh, Chairman Lance Clow described it as training for the members. Some of the members didn't like that term, and then they said it was all about them acquiring information and gearing up towards the 2020 legislative session. And so I guess it's somewhere between uh, those two schools of thought, and, and maybe there's not a lot of difference other than just semantics. Um, but they really took the opportunity over two long days to really probe the way the different state agencies and departments work together in the education policy setting and implementation venues, and then the budget. They picked apart the budget. They had a lot of questions about how state officials work together, about how different agencies, the different roles they play, and about funding. Uh, and they wanted all kinds of questions. And, and, um, and so it was, it was all over the board, and there was no stone left unturned, uh, so to speak. But I got a good quote on the second day from Representative Gerald Raymond. He's a Republican from Manan who sits on the committee. And I just thought that if there was such a thing as a theme to the past couple days, this is it. And so Gerald Raymond says, there are pages and pages of statutes related to education. Uh, we have administrative rules. Does IDAPA rule match legislative intent? Our administrators have so much pressure on them from teacher negotiations to teacher evaluations to why in the world didn't the team make the playoffs? There's pressure on our children. And so my question is, as we move forward, how can we simplify this? Not can we, because we know we can. How do we simplify this process from top to bottom? And so that was Gerald Raymond's perspective, and I think that really was kind of indicative uh, of how everything went. But they did talk about the task force recommendations a little bit. They talked about the budget. They wanted to understand Superintendent Ybarra's budget request uh, for 2020-2021 that she'll be presenting to the legislature when they reconvene in January. They wanted to know all about, she's asking for a $100 million increase. Where is that money going for? How is that money going to be spent? One of the real interesting uh, portions of the meeting came on the second day. There was a panel of four Idaho school superintendents 
who just talked about what they're doing with literacy. Um, it was the Nampa, Caldwell, Lewiston, and CUNA school districts, and they had slide decks prepared. They talked about how much money they received this year from their share of the $26 million literacy initiative, what they're doing with that. As you've reported previously, a lot, a lot of, of districts all day K. are going to all-day kindergarten, and so hiring teachers was a big part of yeah. the expense uh, teachers and space and curriculum was a big part of that expense, at least for a lot of these districts. And so it was really about gearing up for the 2020 session. And I think the background is important here. House Ed's a large committee. It's got 15 members. And six or seven of those members were first-term lawmakers last year. And I think one other member had been appointed halfway through the previous term, they had a new chairman in Lance Clow. The committee's old chairman and vice chair were defeated uh, during, I want to say, the 2018 elections. Yep. Mm -hmm. So new leadership, new blood, new direction. And House that's a complicated committee. Uh, they deal with the state's largest budget, which is education. They have 115 school districts and 57 charter schools to worry about. Uh, and so the context is, is that Representative Barbara Ehard, a Republican from Idaho Falls, and several other legislators had repeatedly asked during the regular 2019 session for a simple one-page flowchart which would illustrate how money and policy came together to shape education in Idaho. And a lot of the state officials and policymakers and Chairman Klaus said, it's just too complicated to have a one-page spreadsheet to show how nearly $2 billion a year flows out from the state to 115 school districts, 57 charters, federal funding and federal programs are in the mix. You've got 140 employees at the State Department of Education. Oh, by the way, you've got the State Board of Education. And so it's just too complicated to give everybody a one-page flowchart because it doesn't really exist. So they had these two days worth of meetings to kind of go through how it all works, how it all comes together, and kind of get geared up for the 2020 session. And it was all over the place, but it sort of revealed where their interests are, and maybe in that regard was a little bit of a preview about what we might expect next year. It feels like it was a bit of a barometer for where this committee uh, is going into the 2020 session. Yeah. We already saw in 2019 that this is a committee that's trying to exert more influence over education policy. Absolutely. Whether it's sex education in the schools, whether it's the school funding formula. Science or, standards was right, a three-year debate. Right, and I think, I think this is a committee that's probably going to want to take another run at the sex education issue. This is a committee that was very skeptical about the school funding formula rewrite in 2019. I don't know if that's, those sentiments are changing much going into 2020. And as you mentioned, uh, on the rulemaking process, on the rules review process, which we know is going to be a big deal yeah. in the 2020 session, I suspect there are members of House Education who would love to take another run at science standards, who would love to take another run at some of the language in those standards. So this is a committee, you follow it day to day during the session anyway, but I think this year it's going to really bear closer scrutiny because uh, this is a committee that uh, is looking to, uh, you know, throw its elbows a little bit and, and you know, establish some space in education policymaking. Yeah, I, I think in that regard, you're absolutely right. And some of the things they asked about, you know, House Ed's going to play the greatest hits when they get together and they get on stage. And so they asked about the Smarter Balanced Assessment Consortium. That's the SBAC. Uh, they wanted to know about Idaho's status with that. They, very pointedly, they wanted to know how quickly could Idaho get out of that. And Carlin Laraway from the State Department of Education said it's not really that 
cut and dry. Idaho's has a seat on the executive committee on the governing board of the SBAC. Uh, they have a lot of influence there, and she said it's kind of like a five- to seven-year process if you want to design and implement a new assessment. They asked about that. They asked for cost estimates from the recommendations coming forward from the governor's task force. A little preliminary there, so they did not get that information. Um, but they very much, And then they asked about early childhood education. And so you can kind of see that that's where things are going. And i got to tell you, man, Earlier in this week, I was thinking about how important the 2020 legislative session is going to be and how difficult and time-consuming and demanding it's going to be. And I said, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to face it and step up, and it's going to be important, and there's going to be a lot of interest. And I was lying to myself. I mean, I was there Tuesday and Wednesday, and, and I was not ready. Uh, I was, and so but I need a little be, bit more you time. will be ready by January. This was I'm, good training. Counting on it. I felt like the committee was in mid-season form running on all cylinders, and I was not ready. So I need, the, I need November and December uh, to get ready, and then I will be ready when, when we reconvene in January. But if you want to get caught up, it really was all over the board. They definitely, a lot of questions. They wanted to simplify. They wanted to rein things in. They wanted to control costs. But then I talked to Steve Birch, a Boise Democrat, and said, I think this is a great starting point for a conversation, but I think the thing we have not been talking about is how Idaho is one of the fastest growing states, if not the fastest growing state in the nation. It's larger than it's ever been. It's growing faster than it's ever been. Let's talk strategically about preparing for that and looking long-term at investing in education, not just controlling costs. And so that was, that was the perspective from Steve Birch, uh, the Boise Democrat. Um, but if you want to get caught up, it was kind of all over the place. But that's sort of how House Ed goes these days. But <laughs> IdahoEdNews.org is the place uh, to be and no, the session didn't kick off early. It was just a kind of gearing up for the session type moment, and so it's still uh, that first uh, full week uh, of January is when things will really be picking up at the state house this year. Well, thanks for keeping us uh, up to date on what happened this week and what to expect. Uh, and rest up. You got two months. Yeah, you'll yeah. be fine. You'll, I'll be you'll, fine. You'll be great. Yep, I'll be fine. All right, a couple other things that we want to talk to. Kevin, you and our records and data analyst, Randy Schrader, spent some time kind of looking at what Idahoans are going to find when they go to vote next week. A lot of people might be focused on city council type races, but there's some school board races and some other things that are going on that may be under the radar, and you kind of dug them up. What did you find out in... in and what are some of the things Idahoans will be looking at this next week? So it's a significant election for education because this is the first time that Idaho voters are going to elect school trustees in the November election. Uh, go back to 2018, legislature passed a law moving school elections from May to November. November of odd number of years. And that was uh, a strategic decision. Right. That was Keep a compromise the the presidential. To, to have... Uh, school board elections on the same ballot with mayor's races and city council races, which, like school trustee races, are nonpartisan. Right. So this is the first time. This is the test uh, drive to see how this is going to go. So Randy Schrader and I spent a good deal of time uh, looking at websites, looking at sample ballots, calling Colin school county districts, clerks. calling county clerks, and had some really delightful conversations with the county elections officials. And I'll get to that in a sec. Good people. <laughs> they, they really are. They're very, they're, they're very helpful. They're very, very kind and patient with reporters. Uh, but here's the bottom line. What we wanted to see is, well, what's going to be on the ballot or what's not going to be on the ballot? And based on Randy's research, 
you have 274 school board terms that expire this year that could potentially be on the ballot. Most of them will not be on the ballot because only one candidate filed. And under the state law, if only one candidate files for a school board election, the, the district can decide to basically void the election. Yeah. Uh, just you know, declare it uh, a moot point and it won't appear on the ballot. So for a lot of you, when you vote on Tuesday and you're voting in city races and you're wondering, hey, well, what? What about city? What about school board races? You may not have a contested school board race. I want to say race. 67 districts or so is what Randy and you uh, uncovered that aren't having one. Yeah, well, we could only find contested school board races in 40 districts across the state. So 40 out of 115 school districts. Some of the big ones like West Ada and Twin Falls, but some small ones like Arbonne yeah. and Swan Valley have contested school board races. You'll be up late tracking the results in Arbonne, I know. Yeah, right. Well, we're going to we're gonna be... Uh, we maybe have to be judicious about where we're spending Tuesday night uh, focused on election results. So go back to that 274 right, school board race number. So you know, a lot of races uh, that aren't races at all that won't even appear on ballots. Uh, Randy found a dozen school board races where nobody filed. Uh, the, the seats are vacant. There's not even going to be an election because there are no candidates. So we could find 62 contested school board races across the state in 40 districts. And a few of the districts kind of jumped out at me because they're districts that have had controversy in the past. Emmett, which just went through hiring a new superintendent, uh, you know, coming to terms with longtime superintendent, making a change there, uh, violating open meeting law in the process. Emmett has 10 candidates for five school board uh, seats, uh, three incumbents, I want to say, are running. So there will be some turnover in Emmett. Uh, New Plymouth, which had a similar sort of a situation with a lot of with turnover in the superintendent's office and some open meetings issues uh, related to that, um, they have three contested races uh, in, in New Plymouth. Teton County, uh, remember the you know the controversy yep. over the school mascot. the mascot. Three contested races uh, on the ballot in Teton County. Middleton, uh, it seems like we're always talking about Middleton and, and controversy and you know. You have uh, con one contested race in Middleton. It involves a trustee who just barely survived a recall election back in August. So the races are, in a lot of cases, where you would expect them to be, where you would expect to see some sort of uh, fallout uh, in reaction to recent events. And But like I say, a lot of school districts, you don't have contested uh, races whatsoever. But we have the full list. So uh, go to idahoednews.org, scroll down, look for your school district and see if there's a race in your neighborhood. I should also mention, also on the ballot, not very many, but you have four levy elections across the state. The big one, Nampa is seeking $24 million over two years. Another big one, um, way up north, and this is kind of a, a quirk in the, subs, the uh, supplemental levy law, um, Lake Ponderé up north is seeking a, uh, a a supplemental levy, but what they're seeking is a permanent, indefinite supplemental levy, which you can do under certain conditions. They're going to voters saying, we'd like to have $12.7 million a year in an indefinite permanent supplemental levy. So you've got those levy elections coming up. Quite a few school board races, some that I think will be kind of interesting to see. It'll be uh, interesting to see what uh, what happens in places like Emmett and Teton County. So we'll, we'll track the numbers and get as many of them to you as possible on uh, Wednesday morning. Yeah, and thanks to you and Randy for digging deep on this. Um, it, when you look statewide, it really increases your workload, uh, but it's important stuff. And I, and I don't know that there's that kind of statewide resource out there. 
in Idaho um, and at this point other than that. And so thank you guys for, for doing that. And, and it, I know just, and it, just, it was just underscored to me, these are, these are volunteer races, yeah. volunteer offices. So there tend to be fairly low-key elections. I mean, this is retail-level politics. <laughs> as, as I was finding out as I was talking to some of the county elections officials, I, I talked to one in Caribou County, and she listed off the names of the candidates, and I noticed that two of them had the same last name, and I had to ask the obvious question, so are they related? <laughs> and she said that she thinks that the two candidates, uh, that their husbands are cousins, uh, so that there, is, that there is that sort of relationship through marriage. Might be an interesting Thanksgiving in a few weeks. Yes, uh, yeah, and you know, you know, these are small towns where you know a lot of people are you know related to each other. So, um, talked to a, an elections clerk in Lemhi County, and I asked her, "Okay, well, do you have any contested races uh, for school board?" And she she said, without any twinge of sarcasm, "What do you mean by a contested school board election?" And I was like, "Well." I'm just trying to see if you have races with two or more candidates. And she's like, well, yeah, we have a couple of those. But they all seem to get along. <laughs> they're not, like, contested like they're, you know, you know in, in conflict with each other. And and like, no. and you know, I was like, mail. I wasn't expecting, you know, people throwing food at each other. But it was just, it was, it was, it was fun. It was fun to put that together and to just kind of get a sense of, you know, this is, this is really retail-level politics. But, you know, all levity aside, School boards have an important role to play. They, they are administering and setting policy for school districts, which in many cases, in many communities, the school district is one of the largest employers in a community. The school district, the schools, are the focal point of the community. These are the folks, and we've seen it uh, many times in the past. These are the folks who hire a new superintendent yeah. or replace a, a school superintendent. And sometimes that process can be controversial and it can be messy. So the volunteers that you elect to a school board, it does matter. These are important positions, even if these are low-key elections, even if in some cases uh, school districts are scrambling to find people who are willing to, to step up and volunteer and, and do the job. So, well, You're absolutely right. I'll give you one more example of why these school board races matter. Governor Brad Little's Education Task Force is talking about issuing a recommendation to empower school boards with this new local accountability program that's going to be based around growth in reading scores on that K through 3 Idaho reading indicator test. But they're going to vote Monday, and we'll have full coverage of this meeting, which is going to be Monday at Boise State. The task force is going to make its votes and issue its final report. Um, but they're talking about potentially empowering local school boards um, through this new idea to have an accountability system uh, that would be tied to growth in the IRI scores. And they've talked about training for school board members and really stepping that emphasis on literacy up even another level. Uh, and school board members are right at the heart of that because they say this is a local control issue and that the autonomy and local control is in the local communities right. for Idaho schools. And so this stuff absolutely matters. And so thanks for <laughs> digging into that. And if you want to get caught up, uh, you've got a, uh, it's really easy to follow, but you can just... Go to that article at idahoednews.org. Look and see if your community is listed in boldface on the left-hand side there uh, and see if you have contested school board races or the odd uh, levy on right. Tuesday. And one other reason to pay attention to these uh, trustee races and who your trustee is, and this kind of segues into us talking about what's coming next week, uh, Idaho School Boards Association has its annual convention in Coeur d'Alene. We'll have uh, folks up there we got uh, to a team cover it. that's going up there? And... 
that meeting is where school trustees from across the state vote on resolutions that they may or may not push for at the legislature over the next two years. So, so these folks play an important role. So uh, we will uh, have results on Wednesday. We'll try to get as many of them as we can cobble together on Wednesday morning. So uh, check the site. We'll have full coverage from the Idaho School Boards Association meeting as well. You will be at the uh, task force meeting bright and early Monday morning to get recommendations. So it's already shaping up to be a full week. It's good. Yeah, it's going to be a, a, a big a big few weeks between now and November. But busy week next week. We'll have all the results from the election. Come back Monday night for full coverage from the task force. And then later in the week, uh, we'll have coverage from the Idaho School Boards Association. One more big piece of news that I wanted to pass along uh, before we go today, we just got word today, right before we turned on the uh, mic for the podcast, that the Education Writers Association has awarded a fellowship to our own Sammy Edge and Nicole Foy of the Idaho Statesman for their Latino uh, reporting project, which we really just unveiled part one of on Sunday. Right. So go to idahoednews.org uh, right now, if you haven't already done it, to read uh, Sammy and Nicole's story. It's their first installment. It's going to be a, a listening project. They're going to go out into communities to look at the issues facing uh, Latino students uh, across the state. It's an exciting project. Uh, I couldn't be happier uh, to see that this is getting recognition and financial support from Education Writers Association. Uh, it's a great organization. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get a fellowship with them a couple of, uh, last year uh, for a project on the 60% goal. Uh, they're great to work with. They're, they're great supporters of education reporting all over the country. So it's a, it's a big deal to uh, get this recognition, to get this support, and, and well-deserved. And I can't wait to see what, uh, what Sammy and Nicole do with, uh, with this project. It's going to be good stuff. Oh, to have the support of EWA uh, behind them I think is really cool. It's, it's going to give them uh, a few more opportunities and perhaps a little bit more exposure. I'm excited about this partnership, and I'm excited that Sammy... And Nicole Foy have partnered up on this because it's a really good look at the next generation of young, talented, super smart Idaho reporters mm -hmm. coming through the ranks. Uh, Nicole and Sammy Edge are, uh, are the next generation right. of investigative journalists. And it's cool to see this project unfold and cool to see them team up. And I'm so glad that both Idaho Education News and the Idaho Statesman uh, is fully in support of this partnership. No, I'm, I can't wait to see what uh, where this project goes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can follow all of that work at idahoednews.org, as well as our daily stories. If you're on Twitter, give us a follow at Idaho Ed News. Uh, but thanks so much for joining us. We always have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast, breaking down this complicated intersection of education policy and education politics. We'll be back with, next week with another brand new edition of Extra Credit. But in the meantime, I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.